FromTheHeart.org Radio, in collaboration with Mayo Clinic, you are listening to Mayo Clinic Talks. I'm Dr. Nasser Amash, and we're here at the Mayo Clinic Talks. Today's guest is Dr. Joseph DeRainey, Chair of the Division of Cardiovascular Surgery, who specializes in congenital heart disease. Good morning, Joe. Thanks for having me, Nasser. How are you today? Very good. So why are we talking about adult congenital heart disease today? Well, it's, it's interesting. I mean, the adult congenital heart disease now uh, is more common than congenital heart disease in children, uh, partly because the, the great survival benefits that have been achieved with surgery back in the 80s uh, and early 90s have resulted in the vast majority, 85 to 90 percent of children, living well into adulthood uh, with congenital heart disease, uh, some of which have been fixed and may require future procedures in the future. And then there are some patients that have sneaked through the pediatric years and have an unidentified, you know, lesion that becomes apparent or becomes uh, identified in the adult years that then requires intervention. So how many patients do you think, percentage-wise, do you think like half and half you have patients who have had previous surgery versus patients who have not, never had surgery before? Oh, I think the majority have had surgery before. But... With that said, I think just about every anomaly in uh, in the in the congenital heart disease literature has the potential to make it to adulthood without having an intervention. But that would be, I think, the minority, not the not the majority. So, what kind of exact patients do you see? Is it simple defect, complex defects? It varies. I think that uh, about seventy-five to eighty percent of of problems in the adult years in the setting of a congenital heart defect turns out to be a valve-related problem. Um, some of these valves can be repaired. Some of these valves uh, need to be replaced. Uh, and the, it's a little bit different than, than valve-related problems with standard adult-acquired heart disease. The, the geometry and the anatomy of a congenitally abnormal heart makes valve surgery a little more difficult in these patients. And, of course, in these young patients, the selection of, of prosthetic valves becomes even a bit more challenging. Do you mean in a woman? Well, in, 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 a, in a woman or a man. I mean, as you know, the, the valve selections that we have fall into two broad categories of tissue valves and mechanical valves. Uh, tissue valves have the advantage of not requiring any blood-thinning medicine, warfarin. Uh, most of them usually get aspirin but they wear out, and, and in younger patients, the durability tends to be shorter. Conversely, the mechanical valves, which have the advantage of durability, have the downside of the need for warfarin, which is particularly undesirable for many young patients who wish to be active. So it's a, it's a balance between trying to um, meet the immediate needs and meet the long-term needs. So who takes care of these patients before they come to you or after you're done operating on them? Well, this has been, I think, the, this is the area for the greatest improvement with this specialty. Uh, right now, we have, uh, we have probably the majority of people caring for these patients are people that actually are not qualified or credentialed to do so. We have adult cardiologists that are doing their best to take care of these patients on the medical side, and we have adult cardiac surgeons that are um, doing their best to try to you know, navigate the nuances of an operation. The fact of the matter is, is the literature shows that the outcomes related to the management of these patients, the length of hospital stay, and the cost to take care of these patients 
is optimized when they're cared for by practitioners that have um, training and expertise in congenital heart disease. So in your situation, you're trained in, in, in congenital heart disease. That is the ideal situation for medical management of, of, of these patients. So for, for our audience who might not know the difference, can you say, I mean, is training for acquired heart disease different from training in, for congenital heart disease? Well, I'll let you speak uh, on the medical side. On the surgery side, for us now, we actually have a congenital certificate. We have a board exam in congenital heart surgery. And so all of us begin with a standard training program in cardiac, cardiac and thoracic surgery. And then beyond that, there is an additional requirement if you want to, if you want to practice congenital heart surgery to obtain this board. Um, it's, it's not mandatory, but it's, it's strongly uh, recommended. And I suspect as we move forward in the future, it will become mandatory. Well, we haven't reached that stage in the medical training because cardiovascular fellowship predominantly deals with acquired heart disease and very small percentage of time is dealt with congenital heart disease. So that becomes quite important because if you don't know how to take care of these patients, can you get in trouble? For sure. The, the, the room for error with these patients is, uh, is, is enormous and, and I think it's, it's critical to have people that are comfortable and are knowledgeable about the subtleties of congenital heart disease. Now, in your, in your, uh, on your side of the profession, for example, I know there's two mechanisms to get into uh, practicing this. It could be adult cardiology right. training with subsequent congenital, or it could be pediatric cardiology. What, what do you think? What are your... You, well, as you... a, I mean, I trained as an adult cardiologist and then trained in congenital. And, I, and since those patients are adults, I feel strongly about, about that issue. But you can be a pediatric cardiologist and, and trained in taking care of the adults and, and do it as well. But the f- most important thing is that you have to spend the time in training, which takes one to two years of your tra- overall mm-hmm. training. Mm-hmm. And that makes you very qualified to deal with all the problems that these patients have. They're not only medical problem or surgical problem. They are psychosocial problem, things related to insurance and, you know, lifestyle and changes. And, you know, these patients are going to grow to become adults to the point that they are going to acquire heart disease. We have had many patients who have congenital heart disease. Plus and acquire heart and disease. And acquire heart disease. So that becomes quite important, isn't it? I, it's, it's important. I think another, another point that's worth emphasizing is is the the care of these patients goes way beyond just the cardiologist and just the surgeon. Um, A patient-centric environment with an integrated approach where you have anesthesia, you have, you know, radiology and imaging, you have, you know, renal and and hepatic physicians, um, uh, the blood abnormalities that come along with these. I mean, having other subspecialists that are knowledgeable about this to some degree, I think, helps with the overall outcome of these patients when they do become sick and they require care. So if, if a patient uh, has had previous surgery before and really have never seen a physician, where do you think this patient should go for medical care now? Well, I, I, this is a very complicated and controversial question. And I, I think the best response to that is I think that it needs to be individualized depending upon what is available locally and what is available regionally. Uh, I, I think the, 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 most important, uh, the most important points to be made is that any physician 
that gets out of a comfort zone with a particular problem with any of these patients that they're, that they're, that they're caring for, they need to have a low threshold to either call or refer to, uh, to an institution where there is going to be um, greater experience and expertise. That brings in the next question. Shall the adult patient with congenital heart disease be in a pediatric hospital or adult hospital? Yeah. I, I think that, again, depends upon local circumstances. I think that in, in one particular city, it may, be, it may be most important for an adult patient to be cared for in the pediatric hospital, which is becoming more and more difficult because the, the knowledge base is more complete in that environment. Um, but there may be other situations where the adult hospital is across the street from the pediatric hospital and the ability for the, for the personnel that have the expertise to float between the buildings it may, may facilitate that uh, being done. So I, I don't think there's any hard and fast rules that must be obeyed, except the most important thing is that it's the personnel. The personnel need to be need to be capable and competent. And a team approach. And a team approach. And the actual facility, I think, will vary from location to location. So moving forward, how do you see this practice, you know, developing? What are the things that you want to be achieved yeah. for, the, for the patients? Well, I'll... I, I, so the first things is I think that from a, from a surgical training standpoint, there is progressively more emphasis now devoted to uh, procedures and, and issues that involve the adult patient with congenital heart disease. So that's continuing to improve. I think that, the, um, I, I think that from, a, uh, from a medical standpoint, I think that the medical side of the profession will iron out the details about what will be what will be the best training strategy for, for, for caring for these patients as well. Um, I think that one thing that we all could do better is I think that right now we do not have sort of an organized, orderly transfer of care between the pediatric practitioners and the adult practitioners who they may be. There's too many patients right now that get lost in those teenage years, in those late adolescent years and early adulthood years where we, have, we need to be better at transferring the care from the pediatric practitioners to the adult practitioners so they don't get lost to follow up. I, I agree fully with that. I have one question for you, Joe. I mean, we do a lot of interventions these days, catheter-based interventions versus surgery. Do you see that we are going to do more and more catheter-based intervention in these patients, or do you think surgery is going to be the main repair option in these patients? I think it's going to be a combination of both. And, and as an extension to that, I think that there will be more procedures that will be done in a hybrid manner. That is, the, cardio the interventional cardiologist and the surgeon working together. The fact of the matter is, is that um, there will always be plenty of work for, for these patients on the cardiology side, and there will be plenty of, of, of work on the cardiac surgery side. And I think as we move forward, there will be progressively more overlap with the surgeon and the cardiologist working together. So after a patient comes and have an intervention or surgery and you meet with them before they go home, what do you tell them about Outlook? Well, I, I, of course, I, I try to be positive and optimistic because I think that medicine has uh, many wonderful things to offer for these patients, even though they may not have a normal lifestyle. We oftentimes can improve it dramatically and make it near normal. I think that lifelong follow-up and oversight and surveillance by, by you and your colleagues 
is absolutely critical because for, I think that the thing that hurts patients the most is loss to follow-up, and then when they come back, they're so sick that anything we want to do is, is fraught with increased risk because it, it, it's too late, really, to do anything positive. So there are certain expectations from the, I mean, for the patient. I mean, we expect the patients to take care of themselves, right? So to seek help and to go for follow-up, but what are the expectations to physicians, cardiologists or cardiac surgeons? So what, do you, what would you tell them what they should we do? Well, I think that, like, it's, 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 it's kind of interesting. I mean, I think we should be like our dentists. I mean, I think that we need to be sending, you know, a notice, uh, you know, reminding them when they have a follow-up appointment. I think that when patients move, and, and you know, these are all young patients, they're going through school, there's gonna be, they're going to be moving around from, from city to city. We need to make sure that they, they have a list of, of practitioners that are comfortable with this so that they have access. And I think that we need to get them to become progressively more independent. It is, it's, it's much more, it's, it's so common right now to see a 25 or a 35-year-old patient with their parents still. Yeah. Not that that's not, not, not that that's not, that's not good, but at some point in time, the, the patient themselves needs to assume more responsibility and accountability for their, for their health care. Making informed decisions. They need to know about their disease. Absolutely. So, I mean, maybe you should also ask cardiologists and cardiac surgeons who are confronted with these patients, if they don't know, it's okay to seek help and second opinion. They, they, they must. I mean, it's, it's, uh, these are young patients. We have young women that want to, they have questions about feasibility of family planning and pregnancy and safety and things of that sort. And uh, we, we, they need to be informed. They need to, and, and we need to have a physician group that's knowledgeable about this stuff that can counsel them in the right way. I think it's going to be a very positive outlook for these patients. What do you think? Oh, I think it's going to be very positive. Okay. Well, th- thank you, Joe. This is a great conversation today with Dr. Joseph Duraney, Chair of the Division of Cardiovascular Surgery at Mayo Clinic in Rochester. Thank you, Nasser. I, I look forward to uh, the next conversation about a topic that I think we're both so passionate about. Thank you. You've been listening to Mayo Clinic Talks, Visit theheart.org to find out more.